Ken. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I began this series on 1 Timothy, I said at the time that I felt that we needed a refresher on our ecclesiology, which is our doctrine of the church. Uh, 1 Timothy is uh, perfect because the theme of this epistle is uh, from 1 Timothy 3.15, that we may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. But in order to know how one must behave in the church, it is fitting for us to know about the structure of the church. As we behave, or rather as we act, as we go about our business in the church, what are the structures? What's the foundation and the the skeleton upon which uh, we are acting I'm going to use this text on the qualification of elders and uh, the qualification of deacons to teach briefly on the government of the church. I will also touch on the qualifications for officers in this sermon as well, since our officer nomination period uh, is now opening. Have you ever considered... Why Presbyterians are called Presbyterians? How we got our name? Well, we get our name from the Greek word for elder, which is presbyteros. Of all the Greek words we could have chosen to describe um, who we are, why would we choose this word presbyteros or presbyterian? Well, we have chosen this word because it is the word for elder. Presbyterianism refers to our church government. Congregational church government uh, describes a model of the church uh, that is more democratic in nature. Baptist churches, many non-denominational churches, employ a congregational model for church government. And so the decision-making body of the church in a congregational church is the congregation. No higher um, body to appeal to in a congregational church than the congregation. I grew up in a Baptist church, and I can remember that we would have uh, monthly business meetings on Sunday nights, and we would vote on the recommendation of the deacons. And usually those recommendations dealt with how you're spending money. For instance, if we were going to buy new trash cans or buy new chairs for the Sunday school rooms um, or or rocking chairs for the nurseries, uh, we would vote on those expenditures of money. The congregation had to vote because the decision-making body in a congregational church uh, is the congregation. Then there's the Episcopal church government. Episcopal church government describes a model of church government that is more hierarchical in nature. Uh, Methodists, Pentecostals, Roman Catholics, and of course Episcopalians 
uh, are examples of denominations that use a more hierarchical model uh, of church government. The word episcopal also comes from a Greek word. It comes from the Greek word episkopos. The King James uh, version in some places translate the word, translates the word episkopos as overseer or as bishop. In fact, the word um, appears in our text in verses 1 and 2, and it's translated overseer in the English Standard Version. The word for elder, you might be surprised to note, doesn't appear in these seven verses. And so, uh, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, or episcopus, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an episcopos must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, and so it goes on. Uh, The Greek word, uh, this word uh, overseer in the King James Version, if you're one of those who are still reading the King James, it is the word bishop. And so that's where um, the word bishop comes from. So, why have we always referred to this passage as qualifications for elders if the word elder does not appear in it? Why is it not that we have qualifications for bishops when we refer to this passage? Well, I'm going to answer that question by using the overhead. Uh, It's easily demonstrated that an elder is a bishop, and a bishop is an elder. The terms are interchangeable when referring to the leadership of the church. The terms speak to the role of the leader. It's exactly like the different titles that people give to me. Sometimes I'm pastor. Hey, pastor. Sometimes I'm preacher. Hey, preacher. Uh, They call me pastor because I'm a shepherd of souls. They call me a preacher because I preach. Uh, Some people call me reverend every so often because of my role as a minister is a dignified and a grave office. So if you'll give your attention to the overhead. When Paul was traveling by ship to Jerusalem, he was going to land at the city of Miletus. It was about 25 miles south of the city of Ephesus. So he sent word ahead of him uh, for the elders of the Ephesian church to come and visit him. When they arrived, he addressed them as overseers or as bishops. So Acts 20, verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, their presbyteros of the church, to come to him. And then they arrived, he spoke to them, uh, at length, and part of his speech to them, he said, pay, a care, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopus, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then, First Peter makes this connection even more explicit. And the connection is, an elder is a bishop, or an overseer, and a bishop is an elder. 
So, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Peter says, So I exhort the elders that presbuteros among you as a fellow elder, which is interesting that Peter, who is an apostle, calls himself an elder, a fellow elder, a soon presbuteros, presbuteros, um, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then verse 2, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. Episcopu unes, un, untes, it's a uh, participle uh, for episcopos. And so basically saying exercise oversight. So the elders, and P- Peter says, I'm a fellow elder. You exercise oversight. You um, be a bishop to these people, is the way it might be translated in an Episcopal church. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. As an elder, I'm sorry, an elder is a bishop, a bishop is an elder. If you wanted to, you could call me Bishop West. Please don't. (laughs) But this designation doesn't only apply to pastors. It also applies to elders. So we have in our congregation Bishop Larry, Bishop David, uh, Bishop Joe out in the narthex, um, Bishop Allen. Uh, His son is now engaged. Uh, We have um, Bishop Lee. Here on the, the front row, um, Bishop um, Bill, uh, where is he? And, uh, and Bishop uh, Dale. So we have these over, I'm sorry, Bill Sherman, I almost, uh, I couldn't find you when I was looking out and you're sitting right where I would expect. So anyway, we, we have all these bishops in our congregation. And the reason uh, he refers to episcopus or overseers, the term overseer refers to the shepherding role that an elder has. An elder oversees the souls of the congregation. An elder cares for and shepherds the congregation. So then, why do we call elders elders if they are also overseers? Well, an elder refers to the role that they have to exercise rule over the congregation. Overseer, shepherds. A rule, I'm sorry, an elder rules. But they're one and the same, just referring to their different uh, roles. The elders make decisions for the spiritual direction of the congregation. So Paul tells, uh, tells us in uh, 1 Timothy 5.17... Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So he's talking about elders. He said those who rule well are to be given, accorded uh, double honor. And then especially those, it's like there's a subset out of them that are still elders who do the preaching and the teaching. 
Elders are to rule. We call the lay elders in our congregation ruling elders because they rule. I too am an, 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 am an elder. But my function, my main function is to labor in preaching and teaching. So I'm called a teaching elder. Ruling elder, teaching elder. Notice that Paul makes only the slightest of distinction. All elders are elders. But there are some who are specially called to preach and to teach. This points to the parity of elders. Regardless of whether you are a ruling elder or a teaching elder, there is only one vote per elder. Just one of the ruling elders can cancel my vote at a session meeting or at a presbytery. The leadership truly in a Presbyterian church, is a shared leadership. There's a great example in Acts 15. When the Gentiles started calling on the name of the Lord in, in these great numbers as Paul and Barnabas were out preaching, it caused a, a tremendous crisis in the church. We've never done it like this before, is, was the, the ancient and also contemporary cry. All these Gentiles coming into the church. What are we going to do? So all the apostles and the elders from the congregations in Judah and Jerusalem and in Antioch, they gathered together for what we might call the first general assembly. And so in Acts 15 verse 6, as they had gathered together, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So it was not only the apostles, but also the elders. It suggests, and I believe it is true, that there was a parity between the, the apostles and the elders. Hence, Peter calls himself a fellow elder. So they're considering this matter. What are we going to do about all these Gentiles coming into the church? So then Paul got up. And he gave his experiences. Uh, Barnabas and, and I have been going through all of Asia Minor. And all these Gentiles are coming to the, the faith every time we preach. God's obviously in this work. Peter stands up after that and he says, God gave me a, a vision in the middle of the day. Uh, he lured down this, um, this cloth with all this food on it. He kept telling me, take and eat. And I said, never, Lord, would I eat anything uh, unclean. And God does it again. And finally, um, God says to Peter, teaching you a lesson. Tomorrow, there's going to be some, some people uh, coming to the house. And they're going to ask you to go with them to Cornelius' house. He's a Gentile. I want you to go and I want you to uh, preach to him the gospel. So Peter does that. Cornelius becomes a believer. His whole household becomes believers. And um, it doesn't sway the church. The church is like, okay, Paul. Okay, Peter. These are your experiences. And then James gets up. He starts quoting Scripture. He starts um, exegeting Scripture. And he says, this has been God's plan all along for the Gentiles to come into the church. He quotes scripture, that settles it for the church. And so, uh, and he said, and this is what we need to do in response. 
And so, uh, verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and sent them to Antioch and uh, to tell them what, was, what they had uh, decided. So, um, sorry, I hadn't looked at my notes in a while. I'm trying to figure out where I am. So, anyway, uh, the Scriptures in effect, decided the matter. The apostles and the elders acquiesced and agreed with the Word of God. That's what was happening there. And then in this fourth slide, uh, from these passages, several principles are evident when it comes to Presbyterian church government. First, the leadership of the church must follow God's Word in their leadership. We're not sitting in the, the session meeting Uh, willy-nilly making decisions based on what will make you happy or what will make us happy. We are studying the Word of God. We are discussing the Word of God. We are discussing the implications of the Word of God. We are trying to make decisions in keeping with God's holy Word. We are His under-shepherds. Christ is the true head of the church. We are just His under-shepherds. We must rule. We must Uh, shepherd underneath his authority, underneath his word. So, um, the the first implication, the leadership of the church must follow God's word in their leadership. Secondly, both the apostles and the elders made the decisions. The apostles were not above the elders in authority. They were given a special role. They were... Uh, proclaiming God's word inerrantly in an inspired fashion, writing God's word in the letters. So they had this authority from God. But here we, we saw in the last frame that the, the apostles and the elders are making the decisions. The apostles were not above the elders in that regard. And then remember, as Peter called himself, a fellow elder. In other words... There's a parity of leadership. The decision of the... There's a parity, there's an equality of leadership. Third, there's a representational leadership. The decisions of the apostles and elders became the policy for the entire church. So there's this... Uh, representational leadership. These apostles and elders were representing the church. They made the decisions, and then they sent those decisions out to the churches and to the fledgling churches throughout Asia Minor. This is the policy. Fourth, there is connectional accountability. Westminster Presbyterian Church is not only a member of the Presbyterian Church in America, our denomination. We are also members of Southwest Florida Presbytery. Southwest Florida Presbytery allowed Jimbo and allowed me to be pastors here at Westminster after examining our life and our doctrine closely. And if we at Westminster decided to go crazy, start denying the Scripture, start denying the virgin birth or something like that, Southwest Florida Presbytery would step in and discipline us. We have a connectional accountability to the other churches here in our presbytery and to our denomination. There's one final aspect of 
Presbyterian church government that I need to point out. There is a plurality of leadership in every Presbyterian church. So this is uh, in Acts 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul is going along in Asia Minor, going along the mail route, um, preaching in every town. He'd go into the synagogues, and then they'd throw him out the synagogues, and then he'd preach in the streets. And all these Gentiles and some Jews are coming to know the Lord. And he's going along. Finally, he in, reached the end of the, uh, this mail route and heads back. And he goes back through, and in every church, he's appointing elders. Not an elder, but elders, plural. As you look through the Scriptures, it may be easy to, to overlook this. Titus. Paul told Titus to go to Crete and to appoint elders, plural, in every city. And so there's a plurality of elders. Christ satisfies Presbyterian church. is technically Christ satisfies Presbyterian mission. Until Jimbo can convert, well, God converts, but until people are converted to Christ and he trains them up, trains up men and, and to, to be officers, installs them as ruling elders, Christ satisfies will remain a, a Presbyterian mission um, because you need a plurality of elders for a church to be a church because we see it in the Scriptures. Paul uh, appointed elders, plural, in every town. You know, I've only scratched the surface of Presbyterian system of church government. Uh, I hope that you have been able to see that we believe that Presbyterian system of government is a biblical system of government. I believe it's the most biblical expression of church government uh, that is out there. We have our book of church order. There's a lot here in this book of church order. The whole government of our church flows not just out of this book of church order in a disconnected fashion from the Holy Scriptures. Our book of church order rests on the Scriptures. By good and necessary consequence, everything that's in this book of church order flows from the Scriptures. One other important note. In our day, uh, many denominations are de-emphasizing church membership. More than anything else, I think this movement is a result of our individualistic culture and expression of that. If church membership is unimportant, then everything that Paul says about um, the leadership of officers here in verses uh, 1 through 13 is null and void. You've got these elders, nobody's required to listen to them if there's no church membership. Paul gives all these rules for the church in chapter 5. Here's how you're supposed to live in the church. If I'm not a member, I don't necessarily have to. And so, church membership is important um, for our mutual accountability. Paul not only spoke about the uh, qualifications of elders but he also spoke of the qualifications of deacons. And uh, deacons among you, I'm not seeking to, dis- to uh, 
shortchange you by being brief. Um, just want to be conscious of the time and of your attention. Making sure Hillary's not asleep. And a little little joke before the service. That uh, Anyway, so he spoke about the qualifications for deacons. These detailed qualifications we see in verses 8 through 13, they let us know that deacons are also ordained officers in the church. Or why would he give these detailed qualifications as he does officers? I mean, as, as he does overseers or elders. Like our word for elder or for overseer, we get the word deacon from the Greek New Testament. It comes from the word dikaianos, which means servant. The word, that's not the word for slave. Doulos is the word for slave. This is dikaianos. It is very much akin to a waiter in a restaurant. They're not your, your slave, but they are your servant so that your meal will be able to uh, be served and, and be enjoyed and be efficient. The first date deacons were actually table waiters. In Acts chapter 6, where the ministry of the diaconate is first outlined or initiated, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the, which were the, the, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said was pleasing to the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Porchorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. They set before them the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And so we then had the deacons. God has seen, wis- seen the wisdom of a division of labor in the church. Elders are concerned with the ministries of caring for souls, preaching and teaching God's Word, praying and overseeing the congregation, overseeing the ministry of the church. The deacons take care of the physical needs of the people in the church and the, and the church and the, the physical needs of the church as a whole in a spiritual manner. Let me try and give an illustration of this and also give a little bit of an announcement. We have a long-standing policy that we really don't advertise very well. If for you, for any reason, have any spiritual needs for prayer, whether it's for healing or you're going through some struggle or whatever it might be, feel free to approach one of the elders after the service. And the elder... We'll gather some of the el- other elders, if appropriate, and we'll and, and go back to the the uh, conference room in the back and, and pray for you, or if or lay hands on you if need be. If you have some physical need, whether it be a financial need or uh, you're a widow and and you need some repair on your home or something like that, feel free to approach one of the deacons, and they can go and take you back to the room. 
uh, to the conference room and meet with you and talk about your financial needs. So after the church, if there is a spiritual need for prayer, approach one of the elders. They want you to do that. If there is a physical need that you have, whether it be financial or otherwise, approach one of the deacons and go meet with them. So I hope you can see in a very practical way that God has laid out a division of labor. And in so doing, uh, He wants to care for His beloved church. If we were to dig deep in verses 1 through 13, you would see that God says a lot more about the character of an elder or a deacon than about what they are to do. Elders are to be above all, above reproach. In verse 2, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And it goes on. Deacons are to be above all, dignified in the way they act. So, verse 8, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And it goes on and on. As officers in Christ's church, we represent Christ. We are to embody His grace, His wisdom, His compassion, His holiness. Whether you're a deacon or whether you're an elder, we represent Christ. As we serve His church, Christ's glorious bride, which He purchased with His own blood. As we open up officer nominations... I'd ask you to prayerfully think of candidates that uh, need to be nominated. Study these qualifications carefully as you pray through these qualifications. Think through the congregation. Think about this person or that person who should be serving as an officer of our church. For the men in this congregation, I want you to look at verse 1. Verse 1 here in this passage. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. And wives, I would encourage you, look at that verse as well. And encourage your husbands. Serving in the ordained ministry of a ruling elder or a deacon is not just another type of volunteering in the church. It is a noble task. Godly men should strive to be officers in Christ's church. Calvin is spot on when he says, It is no light manner to represent God's Son in such a great task as erecting and extending God's kingdom and caring for the salvation of souls whom the Lord Himself has designed to purchase with His own blood and in ruling the church, which is God's inheritance. And I know I'm rolling deacons into verse 1 as well. In Paul's call for men to aspire to the office. To the offices of the church. But in doing that, it also allows me to roll elders into the blessing that God confers on deacons who serve well. Look at verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Men 
aspire to be officers. It is a noble uh, task with a, it is a blessed calling. There's blessing in being an officer in God's church. And then finally, in speaking for myself, this calling as an ordained teaching elder in Christ's church is too big a calling for me. Sometimes when I'm standing here in front of you preaching, I feel so small and so inadequate. Or when I'm in your family, right in the middle of some life-changing circumstance, one of your loved ones has just died, and I am there. I feel awful small, but I also feel honored and privileged to be allowed into your home and be your minister at that moment. And, uh, and I just think, God, what have you done in calling me to be your mouthpiece and your minister here among your people? It is too big a task. Who is up to such a calling? There's this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. I've often thought about it. Verse 8 and verse 11. In verse 8, it says, When Christ ascended on high... He, gave, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, what are these gifts? Well, we find out in verse 11. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So I'm a gift of God to you. And I think, Lord, when they unwrap me, I don't want them when they unwrap me to, to be a, a jack-in-the-box, you know, and, and, and make a fool of myself and be unhelpful and scary to them. I would never have entered the ministry, much less pursued it, had I not learned that Christ's calling, His gifts, and His grace were not sufficient. His grace is indeed sufficient. The Lord Jesus gives us grace sufficient to our calling. If you are wondering whether you should aspire to this noble calling, cling to Christ for His grace. He is sufficient. He'll cause you to grow up in Him. He'll cause you to be a blessing to our wonderful congregation. And He'll give you great confidence in Him. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we have been looking at this passage, it was a, a mouthful, and, and I feel like we've only bitten off just a small piece of this, um, this great passage. God, I pray that as an application for this congregation, as we are opening, opening up officer nominations, Lord, I pray that men would be on the stretch for you, that they would, um, that they would see that this is a noble task that you are calling them to, to aspire to. Lord, I ask that you would give them grace. And I ask, Father, that you give us as a congregation grace to recognize those men who need to be officers in your glorious church. Lord, through the officers that we have now, the elders, the deacons, be a blessing to our congregation in order that our congregation might be a blessing to your kingdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.